You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. It's been an exciting week in the world of food in Ireland as Ballymaloo Litfest opened up for ticket sales last week. So get on to litfest.ie if you're planning to go there in May. The tickets for the most popular events always sell out really quickly, so don't delay if one of your food heroes or drinks heroes are going to be there over the course of the weekend. I can highly recommend it as an event. It's always great fun, great crack and great interaction. And coming up on the show tonight, we're going to be interacting with Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine. Caroline is going to be on the phone to tell us about the January issue. Then we're going to be talking to Ruth Hegarty. Ruth is the owner of a specialised food project management and consulting agency. It's called Egg and Chicken Food Projects. And she works with food producers, local food groups, events, etc. And she's also the head of Community of Chef Network. So you'll have heard her on the show in the past talking about that. And she's a team member of Food on the Edge, the symposium that's held in Galway every October. So just before Christmas, she wrote an article called How Did Fighting Food Waste Become Free PR and Labour for Supermarkets? And we're going to be talking to her about that article later on in the programme. We're also going to be joined by Zach Gallagher from the Irish Food Guide blog. And Zach is going to be talking about the top 10 best Irish foods to watch out for in 2017. So that's what's coming up on the show tonight. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.com. Ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So tonight, Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, returns to the show to talk about the January issue, and she's on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Oh, thanks so much for having me. A fabulous looking issue of Easy Food magazine. And this month, the special guest editor is Oliver McCabe. Yes. Yep. So we have Oliver as our guest editor this month. And Oliver, you know, for anybody that might not be as familiar with him, he has released his first cookbook. It's called The Fuel Food Cookbook. And this is an extension of his health food shop based in Dockey. Um, and the interesting thing about that is he kind of reinvented the shop in 2004 and it was originally his parents' uh, shop. It was the neighborhood grocer. It was called Select Stores Docky, and that was back in the 50s. And then, so in the 2000s, he kind of, he had been away in Australia. He had learned all these different cooking techniques and a lot about really healthy, wholesome cooking. And he kind of thought, well, you know what? Like, Docky doesn't really have that right now. So he came back, reinvented his family shop, and um, it's kind of just been booming since then. So, you know, they have a great, you know, sandwich bar and, you know, nice smoothies and kind of takeaway foods. So it's kind of a great go-to for the neighborhood. And his cookbook really kind of exemplifies this. So we were delighted to have some of his recipes in here. And not only does he really get into just the recipes, but he kind of breaks down, um, you know, the different ingredients and why they benefit your body so much and all the different things you're, you know, you really need in a healthy diet. From a personal perspective, somebody that grew up in a family business that was a, a greengrocer shop, it's great to see somebody like Oliver carrying on the family business like that, but innovating with it and developing it and bringing it up to speed with what society and the consumer are looking for today. That's the thing, exactly. I mean, it was such a, you know, the center of, uh, you know, such a center of the town way back when. And then 
father passed away when he was quite young, so he and his siblings and his mother really kind of amped up their involvement in the store. And then, like that, it's probably, it's just so great, even just for their family to, I think, you know, kind of have that still you know, within their own circle and within the community. So, you know, he's done a fabulous job with it. And it's really just been, like I said, it's been booming. So, you know, anyone that's ever in the area, like, you know, he kind of passed on the message to be sure to stop by. <laughs> that's great. No, um, fantastic. Just, as I say, great to see somebody carrying on the family business there. Yeah. So some great recipes from him inside the mm-hmm. this issue and the cover. We must always talk about the cover because yeah. you're obviously very particular about what you put on the cover because that's yeah. what helps to sell the magazine. And this looks like a fine, tasty, delicious, <laughs> wholesome, like there's no salad yeah. to be seen on the cover of, no. of this month's <laughs> issue. That's the thing, you know, because it was we were really kind of grappling with this it's always the January issue is always really interesting because everybody's wanting to eat healthy you know after all the indulgence of the holidays and everything um but at the same time it's really cold and it's dreary outside and you don't want to be coming home you know on like a dark windy night to just a salad so we wanted to make sure that it was something on the cover that really you know is good for the good good for you it's wholesome ingredients but as well it's going to make you feel good too so, and that's kind of easy food in general. We always strive to make sure that the recipes aren't just following, say, like a fad diet or it's not going to maybe be something to eat, but then you're going to be hungry in 15 minutes again. So we're really relying on kind of as much local food as we can incorporate into the recipes and things that are going to just really nourish you and keep you full for a long time. So it's a proper beef bourguignon on the cover. Now that might be more of maybe like a weekend dish, kind of when you have a little bit more time to cook, but we have tons of recipes peppered throughout that are that's kind of following that same mentality. And some low sugar recipes. Yep, yep. So we definitely, you know, that is, again, it's something that we, we wouldn't even say that's like a trend or a fad or anything. I mean, the more research that's coming out really is pointing to you want to lower and kind of eliminate as much sugar from your diet as possible. And like we say, you know, it's not to say to cut out all fruit or anything like that, but just get it from more natural sources rather than artificial. So we've included just kind of some sweet recipes from, you know, kind of like a nice carrot cake to some biscuits and little kind of frozen berry cakes that rely on more natural sources of sugar. So, you know, things like honey or, um, you know, dried fruits. And these kinds of things, you know, you're still getting something sweet, but it's not inc- it's not including any of these like kind of hidden sources of sugar. So they're all really tasty. I mean, we had them all in the office, and they, a few people didn't even realize that they were meant to be low sugar until we had told them afterwards. At this time of the year, it's very hard to come down off that sugar rush that many of us exactly. have enjoyed and experienced during I the festive know. season. Ah, uh, trust I know. That's the thing. I mean, I've got the biggest sweet tooth of all, and but after this, after all the you know Christmas chocolates and cakes and everything you kind of just want to reset your body and kind of get it back to you know a good start for the year so these are perfect for that absolutely something that i love at this time of the year is a lovely chili con carne it's one of the things that i enjoy making at home and i see you have a kind of a different twist on it there it's a spicy sweet potato and chicken chili yep yep that was actually it was one of our favorite recipes from this issue um it kind of uses like that, you know, chicken, you can get chicken mints, you can kind of get uh, chicken breasts or thighs and cook it for a long time and uh, tear them into kind of smaller torn pieces. But the flavor of this is just unbelievable because like you said, everybody kind of has a, a soft spot for chili con carne. So this one uses, um, kind of packs in a lot of vegetables, uh, has kind of like sweet potato and just nice kind of kicks from chilies and great spices. And uh, 
like that. I mean, you wouldn't really think that you're missing anything by not including the beef. You say there about it packing in lots of different vegetables and there's a section there on what's in season at the moment so that you can make the most out of using the freshest ingredients. Exactly. And that's, you know, another thing this time of year. I mean, it's one thing in the summer when, you know, everything's kind of in season and you're tripping over fresh veg, you know, at the farmer's markets and all. But uh, this time of year, you know, it's good to remember that there are still a lot of things that are in season and it's particularly things like root vegetables. So, uh, you know, like you have your cabbage and your carrots and kind of things that you might add to a stew. But there's actually, you know, quite a good good few things that you can get this time of year and even like I was saying before even if you're not to make just you know an all-veg salad you can pump up a lot of everyday dinners and everyday recipes with these things so whether it's whether it is you know some chopped mushrooms or a handful of spinach or you know anything fresh just to kind of make sure to add as many kind of vitamins and nutrients into your cooking as you can in the winter. Another article that's going to be of great use and interest to the readers would be the bit it's it's the from the butcher's block because at this time of the year when the purse strings might be maybe not as strong as we'd like them to be yeah yeah having just um spent the bulk of our money on presents and whatnot at christmas yeah so the butcher there he's explaining why it's worth buying cheaper cuts of meat yep yep and um yeah and that's always something like you know, just want to make sure that people are kind of keeping in mind because, you know, some of those everyday cuts that you might go for, whether it's, you know, a certain cut of beef or steak or chicken fillets, um, you know, your butcher would have loads of great advice in terms of things that you can pick up that are going to save you money. And, you know, again, they're kind of loaded with nutrients and they're going to have just a lot of, um, it's kind of, it stretches. So, you know, if you think about things like beef brisket or pulled pork or, you know, any kind of cheaper cuts that you can put into a slow cooker, um, that's something, it's going to taste delicious because it's kind of foolproof. And like that, you can make sure your family's getting, you know, the servings of meat that they might want or expect throughout the week. Okay, and also another way to save the money is to avoid the takeaways and fake that takeaway. Tell us a bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yep, so again, kind of in uh, in January, I think everybody is, you know, not only watching what they eat, but kind of watching the purse string. So these are recipes, you know, we kind of got, we deviated a bit from the altogether healthy and wholesome things. I mean, these are versions, we've done a few features in the past where it was kind of uh, healthier versions of takeaways, but these were ones we kind of based on, you know, kind of what we'd expect, like, you know, some uh, nice flavor, some pad thai or an Indian tikka masala. Uh, so if these are kind of recipes that we wanted them to taste as similar to a takeaway as possible, but you are definitely saving on, you know, calories and hidden fats and sugars just because you're making it at home and you can control all of the ingredients going in. Again, it's all natural. It's all, or I suppose not all natural, but it's all foods that you would be buying and cooking up for your family anyway. So, you know, everything, we, the pizza in there is one of our favorites. We absolutely devoured that. Luckily, we made it on a Friday, so it was kind of a nice treat here. And always a huge hit with the children. Exactly. I mean, and the great thing about pizza is you can totally customize it for whatever you want. So a nice thing about making it at home is you can put on whatever toppings, and it's kind of a nice winter activity to do anyway. You always include a kids section in the magazine. So what can we expect from that this month? Yeah, so in the kids section, we have um, we have some nice, wholesome soups that are kind of kid-approved. So we know that a lot of times you kind of throw a bit of everything. You want to get a bit more adventurous when we're making winter soups, but 
some of the ones that we put in here are the ones that we know that our little leaders are big fans of. So things like chicken noodle soup or a nice um, kind of slightly sweet and totally smooth carrot soup. Um, little These little things are the ones that, like, you know, kids would love to bring to school, and it's kind of nice to have, you know, for an easy supper. And then for something sweet, we always do our step-by-step Easy Juniors feature, and we have kind of a nice apple crumble in there. So, again, kind of a way to use up some of the maybe seasonal apples that might still be sticking around, and it's a great one for the kids to do. And, you know, if you just have a little help from the adults to get it in the oven, it's totally kid-friendly. Love an apple crumble, so I do. I know, it's not going to be the best. <laughs> Custard and a little bit of cream. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, well, what's your favourite recipe in this month's issue? Oh, always a tough one <laughs> but I have to say now again like I said I, such a sweet tooth and this is a recipe that we've been waiting for a few months to include and this was our challenge yourself recipe for cinnamon rolls um, now again maybe being American it's something near and dear to my heart but uh, it's they're actually such an easy recipe and um, have to say this is one that we'd actually tested this back in the summer and the last few months some of the people that were around we tested it have been begging for the recipe since then so I guarantee if anybody does maybe have an inkling to try them, to definitely make them at home because you won't be disappointed. Excellent. Okay, so keep an eye out for the cinnamon rolls. That's the January issue of Easy Food magazine, which is out on the shelves now, and it costs €3.50 and it's jam-packed. Like, it's a a, a fine tome of recipes, so it is. Caroline, thanks so much for talking to us this evening, and we'll talk to you again in February. All right, talk to you then. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week and all the previous shows on the podcast, which is on the website, SharonNoonan.com. Or you can also have a look for it on iTunes to download it free of charge and you can listen to it using the podcast app. Just before the break, we were talking to Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, about the January issue. And I have it sitting here beside me. So lots of inspiration there for some wholesome, heartwarming, tasty dishes to enjoy during January. Coming up on the show tonight, we're also going to be talking to Zach Gallagher. Zach is from the Irish Food Guide and during Christmas he had sent a tweet out asking people to highlight the best Irish food that they came across in 2016. So we're going to be talking about the top 10 best Irish foods to watch out for in 2017 that Zach has collated as a result of people tweeting him various bits of information. A reminder as to how to get in touch with the show, you can can email me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Next now we're going to be talking to Ruth Hegarty. She's the owner of the specialised food project management and consulting agency Egg and Chick Food Projects and she does a lot of work with food producers, local food groups and would organise events. She's also head of community at Chef Network and a member of the Food on the Edge Symposium. Just before Christmas, Ruth wrote an article which was very thought-provoking. It was, How did fighting food waste become free PR and labour for supermarkets? And she joins me on the line now from Galway to tell us more about it. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. 
Ruth, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this evening. You wrote an article there before Christmas. How did fighting food waste become free PR and labour for supermarkets? It's quite evident from the article that this is something that you feel particularly passionate about. Yeah, I do. Um, thanks thanks for having me, Sharon. Um, yeah, I, I feel really strongly about it. And um, I have to say it was it was a tough article to, to write. Um, I wrote it for arc2020.eu. That's where the, the article can be found. And um, there's um, an Irish uh, journalist, Ollie Moore, who, who edits there. And we had just kind of had a passing conversation about this a while back and he kind of came back to me and said look do you want to do you want to put those thoughts down and, and, and write a, a piece on it and um and it was it wasn't easy to do because it's it's a really really complicated um issue you know if it was an easy thing to solve food waste we would have solved it by now and it's um it's not easy to solve and it's 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 very difficult but i suppose in addition to that um what i was talking about in the article was um how a lot of food waste is now being channeled into into charities and um, into food banks. Um, and I suppose I was challenging that a bit, and that's not an easy thing to do because, of course, um, you know, it's hard to challenge something that is being done charitably and, you know, that, like, this food is, is being given to, to, to the needy, and so it's very... It is difficult to question that, and um, I so found it quite a difficult piece to write, but at the same time, it's something that I've been thinking about for quite a while and um, really felt needed to be challenged. This time of year, and I seem to be bleating on a lot tonight about Christmas and because it's not that long over, and you can see a lot of the the, a lot of food waste is particularly evident at Christmas whenever we do overbuy and we do overspend and the fridges and the larders are stocked to the gills with food and a lot of the time it's it's not used and a lot of the time that food is there and it's been purchased because of the special offers that the supermarkets are are putting on and that's something that you highlight in your article. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the angle that I was kind of coming at and the question that I was asking around um, food waste and the different initiatives that um, have come along to kind of tackle food waste is, you know, how is this all ultimately affecting the farmer and, you know, the price that they're getting and and their survival. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've seen, you know, when you, when you talk about Christmas and you're right, you know, it's the time that this issue often gets highlighted because food waste is a huge issue around Christmas. Um, you know, but year round, you know, we're wasting like across the globe 30% plus of food that is being produced is, is being wasted, is not being being consumed by by people um, and that just goes up um, over the Christmas period and one of the things that we've seen in recent years is, you know, a lot of the supermarkets like really heavily discounting, for example, fruit and veg um, and it's something that you know, the farming organisations have, have challenged and have spoken up about because, you know, obviously Christmas is just as important um, economically for our farmers as it is for any other business and they need to do well at that time of year as well um, and instead what's happening is that supermarkets are using those kind of products to you know as loss leaders to get people in the door um and it the 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 farmers are being forced to take extremely low prices um for those products um but the policy across the board and throughout the year in supermarkets is you know really just ordering as 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 much as they want pile it high sell it as cheap as cheap as they want 
discounted, um, you know, do your three for two offers or whatever the case may be. And any hit that is taken on those discounts and on those prices is taken by the farmer. Um, and really, at the end of the day, whether it's sold or not is not a huge concern to the supermarkets because they take very little risk in, in ordering it in the first place. I see in the article it says that there's a move in France to to make it illegal for supermarkets to dispose of food. That's right. They've actually they've actually passed a law now in France um, to say that supermarkets will no longer be um, able to dispose of food, that they will have to channel it into the charity sector. And while on the surface that, that seems like a great initiative, and I know a lot of people here say, gosh, you know, why are we not doing the same thing here? And, you know, France is very progressive in terms of tackling tackling things like food waste and other environmental issues, and they're, they're, they're far, far ahead of, of our government and always have been. Um, at the same time, I would question, you know, the, the long-term impact of something like that because, you know, you're you're still allowing supermarkets to continue with the same buying practices, continue to, to abuse farmers and pay them very low prices um, and basically get rid of all of that waste for free under the guise of charity. Um, so it's not really tackling food waste as a systemic issue within the food system, you know, which is what it is. It's 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 totally integrated into the way that supermarkets function and that kind of initiative really doesn't give them any incentive to change their ways in fact it helps them to just deal with the problem um, in a way that makes them look good while they continue to uh, to make life extremely difficult for the people who are supplying them. Do you think it is up to the supermarket to change their policies or do consumers also have to educate themselves and be a bit more conscious about what's going on and the marketing ploys that supermarkets and other stores use to actually get them to buy food as well? Because we're talking here about supermarkets throwing out food, but there's also the consumer overbuying at times and throwing food out themselves at home. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, consumers need to open up their eyes and realize that like supermarkets are not trying to do them any favors you know everything that a supermarket does is done in order to to increase its profits you know so they're they're not trying to help you as much as they market it that way they're not trying to help you with with their lower prices and and their discounts they're ultimately their goal is to try and get you to spend more money so you know we need to stop being naive and we need to open up our eyes absolutely to to what supermarkets are doing and we need to change the way that we are buying food and you know we need to be sensible and realize in the long run we're not saving any money by buying you know perishable items um in bigger quantities than we need just because they're they're being discounted or they're on a special offer having said that you know the supermarkets are very quick to kind of point out oh so much food is being wasted um you know, at consumer level in the home, that's where the biggest portion of food waste is happening. Um, and they're very quick to push that back onto consumers. They, you know, tell consumers to pay attention to the use-by dates and don't buy more than you need and all the rest of it. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the supermarkets have driven things to move in that way all the time. Like, they've driven um, us to buy more than we need and they have made us completely change our attitude to food. Um, and what's you know, what's really noticeable around food waste statistics and figures is it's the cheapest foods that are most wasted. Um, so, you know, across the world where it's about 30% of all food that's wasted, when you look at um, 
root vegetables and tubers, so potatoes, for example, which are very cheaply available in supermarkets, they're wasted at about 45%, which is absolutely scandalous. But people are much more likely to waste something that they get, that they buy cheaply. Cereals um, are also wasted in massive proportions, and of course, fruit and vegetables are, are the other ones. Um, whereas when you get to the likes of meat and dairy products, that, that, that waste level goes, goes down a bit. But I mean, it's still, it's still 20% of all, all, all meat and dairy products in the world that's wasted. Now you have some very startling statistics there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, as, and as I said in, in, in that piece I wrote, like, everyone is appalled to hear those numbers. It's, it's an absolute crime that that kind of food is being, is being wasted while people are going hungry. And so then this idea that we divert some of this, this food that would have been wasted into, into the charity sector and use it... Um, you know, to feed those who are needy um, through feed banks and through community food schemes is is great on the surface. And you know, I absolutely welcome um, all. You know, that those charities do amazing work, and there's people out there who've shown great um, initiative and great innovation in coming up with these solutions to food waste and technology to support those solutions. Um, but the fact of the matter is that all we are doing with that is saying to supermarkets, continue to to operate the way you do, continue to to force down the prices with, with farmers and to order as much food as you want. And we will now, rather than lambasting you about throwing food into landfill, we'll let you give it away. It will cost you nothing. And in addition to that, you'll get some good pure and you can even say that you're contributing to um, your your environmental sustainability plans. So the scenario shouldn't be there. It should be stopped well before we get to that stage where they have produce to, to ship on to a good home, in inverted commas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the issues are well known around, around food poverty in the world and they are, you know, to do with food distribution and to do with people not having local access good food and you know they're they're really complicated entrenched problems that are not solved in any way in the long term by giving people um food for free at at food banks now it is you know it's a short-term crisis solution for for those people and um but on the you know on the social side of things there's there's a lot of people who are really concerned about the fact that food banks are now becoming you know permanent fixtures in communities and they're their people are being fed on an ongoing basis through food banks rather than this being used as you know an emergency intervention and um, so there's you know there's that concern as well from people who work in in the charitable and voluntary sector um, but on the food side and that's the perspective I suppose that I would be coming from my concern is how this is is allowing food waste to become acceptable for supermarkets and then and the impact that that potentially has on the farmers when you go back the line through the supply system. I thought it was a very interesting point that you made in the article and you've you've mentioned about the best before and the use by dates and packages that it was supermarkets who pioneered this labelling and for somebody that comes from a fruit shop background to have a packet of apples or a bag of apples and it says like used by or best before on it to me is just ludicrous because you can see quite clearly when an apple 
is bad and when it's not bad and even if a part of it is bad you can still use the other or eat the other parts of it absolutely and i mean when you think about it it's it's terribly clever isn't it that the people who are selling us the food are also um kind of telling us oh gosh you know you better throw that away after a week and um not risk eating it and go out and buy a new one you know rather than you know us having those those kind of i suppose instinctive almost skills that people have had over the years of being able to look at something or touch something or smell something and know that it was safe to eat and that's become just the totally accepted practice now that like you absolutely do not consume something you know after the date that it says on the packet and then there's all of that confusion with people around these kind of you know used by and best before and you know display dates and what all of those mean and don't think for a second that that happened accidentally. I don't believe that it did at all. I think supermarkets knew exactly what they were doing when they moved in that direction. It's very startling the way just a couple of generations ago, how the shift can change so quickly that a couple of generations ago, there was more value put on food. There was more thought put into what meals were going to be served on each day of the week so that it was planned out better and that food was used up and it was bought with more thought in mind, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, you know, ultimately, this is this is the, the fact that, you know, food, you know, people spend on food is 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 a lot less proportionally um, than than it used to be in the past. And um, food has just become a cheap commodity that people don't really worry too much about throwing it out because, you know, they don't feel that they've um, really parted with a whole lot of their hard earned money to get it. Um, but the fact of the matter is that you know, people could probably continue to buy, consumers could probably still continue to buy food um, around at the same cost as they're paying now um, and farmers could get a better proportion of that price if the supermarkets weren't making such huge profits. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mentioned there about, you know, my parents would have fruit shops and I can remember years ago the clementines at Christmas time, the boxes of them coming up into the house with like a black skin on them. And us looking at them and dad said, there's nothing wrong with them. They're perfectly good inside. And I was like, well, then sell them to your customers. And he was like, they won't buy them, but you can eat them. There's nothing wrong with them. And don't be looking for the ones with the pure orange bright skin because I can sell those. I can't sell these and there's nothing wrong with them. And the wonky veg and all of that. It's just, you know. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I suppose that's another, you know, point where... You know, as I mentioned in that article, that you know, a lot of um, a lot of produce is wasted before it ever reaches the supermarket. Of course, and um, you know, the supermarkets are quick to point out that there's only a certain proportion of waste happening at supermarket level, and there's a lot happening, you know, post production or farm level, and so on. Um, but it's interesting to kind of think about how much of that is happening because of the standards that have been imposed by the supermarkets around, you know, shape, size, appearance of you know fruit and veg and i mean it's kind of fascinating to look at fruit and veg and supermarkets and see how uniform they are for something that grows you know that is it should be a natural product that there should be quite a lot of variety in but because they have this kind of standardization and these so-called quality requirements which have very little to do with quality you know nothing to do with the, the nutritive quality or the taste of the product but just make them 
a little bit easier to stock in the supermarket, I suppose, and make them look a little bit more attractive. So we've got a huge proportion of, of waste, you know, on, on farms just because they're not acceptable to the supermarkets in terms of those standards. And in the same vein as using food banks as a PR stunt, then there are some supermarkets starting to do this. Like we have the wonky veg. That's nearly like a marketing ploy in itself. Like here's the wonky veg section. And aren't we great for, for having that on our shelves? A very interesting article. Just remind the listeners now where they can they can look it up online if they want to read it in detail. Yeah, sure. It's on arc2020.eu or you'll find a link to it on the ARC2020 Facebook page as well. Okay, fantastic. Now, before you go, I want to ask you about Chef Network because that's something that you're very heavily involved in. How is it going for you? What are your plans with it for 2017? Yeah, thanks. It's going absolutely fantastically and um, I'm really excited about uh, 2017. Um, I'm trying to remember when we last spoke on it, but um, we've about 850 chefs on board now, so it's um, it's been growing fast and lots, lots of chefs getting involved with it. Um, so there is a big kind of industry event that takes place um, in February in the RDS called KTEX, um, from the 21st to the 23rd of February where we'll we'll have a, a big presence um, there talking about a lot of the kind of topics that I suppose come up over the course of the year as we've been going around the country meeting chefs um, so things like how we're going to attract more people into careers in the industry, how we, how we make the industry a better place for people to work and how we nurture talent in the industry um, and so on and we've got a little bit of a partnership with Food on the Edge as well, who um, Chef Network came on board as a, a supporter of last year. So we're going to kind of bring um, an element of Food on the Edge um, to the KTEX event as well in, in the Chef Network um, area and do some talks around the future of food. Um, so I think that will be really interesting. And then over the course of 2017, um, we've kind of lots of different initiatives that we're going to be launching and um, we're going to um, hopefully have at least one event a month around um, the country for chefs and those will be you know educational and um, informative um, events for chefs whether they'll be you know culinary master classes or visits to food producers um, and so on and again just all about the whole kind of ethos behind Chef Network which is like trying to expand chefs knowledge and skills and get them to kind of collaborate with each other and share ideas with each other so lots of activity kind of regionally around the country um, lots more kind of online content coming on stream in terms of like skills videos and, and, and videos profiling different chefs um, around the country as well which is really important in terms of kind of you know, keeping everyone motivated and seeing for young chefs to see the opportunities that are out there for them in, in their careers as well um, so yeah and another I suppose, thing that we're going to be doing is launching a gastronomy club where within the kind of membership we'll be asking you know the, the chefs who have who have restaurants or who head up kitchens around the country to kind of host um, events once a month where that will give um, other people in the industry um, the opportunity to kind of dine out and um, have those those experiences you know maybe on the Mondays or Tuesdays when they're they're closed or they're quiet you know that they can go out to other restaurants and you know 
as well as having a meal, maybe get the opportunity to meet the chef or tour the kitchen. Um, so again, especially for, you know, students and young chefs to kind of have that interaction with other people in the industry and see what's going on and see what kind of trends are happening in the industry. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on its its growth and its success to date. It's really taken off, which is super for the chefs of Ireland. And we wish you all the best with it in 2017. Congratulations again on the fantastic article about food waste. And thanks so much for talking to us tonight. Thanks a million, Sharon. Great talking to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, Ruth Hegarty, author of the article How Did Fighting Food Waste Become Free PR and Labour for Supermarkets, was telling us about the article. And we've one final interview of the evening to come, and it's with Zach Gallagher. Zach himself is a chef up in Donegal, but he also is the person behind the Irish Food Guide blog. That's on irishfoodguide.ie. And he is going to talk to us now tonight about the top 10 best Irish foods to watch out for in 2017. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Good evening, Zach. You're very welcome to the show this evening. Hello, Sharon. Good to talk to you. Irish Food Guide blog. Just before Christmas, you tweeted, what are the foods to watch out for? And you've come up with a list of 10. I did. I've been doing that for the last maybe four or five years to run my birthdays on the 23rd of December. So normally on that day, I would tweet, what was your best Irish food find for the year? And it's just built up over the years. It's been great. I'd get hundreds and hundreds of replies from people. Some of them talk about restaurants and some of them talk about food and producers and and markets all over the country. And from the very first year I did it, I decided I won't include restaurants because there's enough people out there qualified to be listing the best restaurants that they believe were in the country and just concentrate on the public's best finds of food for the year. It's a very interesting list because there's wine in it, there's beer in it, there's charcuterie, there's potatoes, there's a very diverse range of products. There is. It's funny, this year I have seen um, in the replies back from people a change in what's been going on the last couple of years. There was a lot more organic food over the last couple of years and this year, like street food, an awful lot of street food, um, replies come back in from all over the country wine for the first time Irish wines Uh, a lot of craft beers came in and um, sacouterie potatoes came up this year and a lot of people kept plugging the same person and uh, that's why what what I do when the results come in is in the first week of uh, January every year I I put them all I go through the best Irish food hashtag and on top of that there's a lot of stuff comes in directly to me uh, without the hashtag that's included as well and I put it, put it in a spreadsheet and then I just figure out what the spreadsheet, which one got the most mentions. And so that moves them to the, the best position for that particular product. And this year is the first year I categorized them because uh, over the years, it's just it's the way things come in this year. It was completely different, uh, the way people were treating. A lot of producers out there, I'd say, getting people to um, mention them and get the plug in, which is what social media is all about, is the, the networking thing. Um, and a couple of a couple of products that have cropped up over the years as they started, and they're still you know they're bigger bigger companies now. And one or two there I'd never heard of this year, so I would always go and check. Um, 
that they're for sale somewhere. There's no point putting up something that's not for sale. Well, you mentioned potatoes there and I want to start there because that was what I had tweeted to you, the Ballymacany Farm Heritage Potatoes, because these are a fabulous purple potato that I only became familiar with, I'd say, around September, October time last year. So you got loads of tweets about them. I had tweets. A Ballymacany Farm is over in uh, County Drogheda and it's a lady called Maria Flynn. And as far as I understand, her husband is a potato grower and she wanted to do some specialised potatoes herself. And she specialised in, they're, they're an old breed of potato, but they weren't really readily available. I know a couple other farmers around the country that are smaller garlic farmers that are, that are doing stuff like this, but not in the scale that she's doing. The amount of chefs that love her stuff is amazing. And the amount of chefs that got, got on to me tweeting, same as you did, about, uh, uh, about her potatoes... Like some of the some of the top chefs and Michelin star chefs in the country have used her product, love her stuff, and they were tweeting about uh, the Ballymacana farm potatoes. Yeah, it's funny because after I had first encountered them around September October last year, then there was a number of restaurants I was in after that, and there they were on the menu. So it was, and it, I had met Maria and interviewed her also the first time had come come upon the product and a great personality. So it's great to see that particular product doing so well. It is. I hope she's got plenty of seed in the ground for next year because it looks like she could be busy. Well certainly from the photographs on social media and on Twitter there's a lot of boxes being piled up on a daily basis so we wish her continued success with that. The next product I want to mention is one that's very close to home to you and it's in Donegal. The Haven Smokehouse. It is a turf smoked organic salmon. Not one that I have actually tasted but that I'm very interested in tasting. It is. It's a it's down in Carrigart at the top of the county, which is on the, on the, the Downings Peninsula, um, heading towards Letterkenny. And it's, it's run by Declan, uh, Declan McConnellogue and Sue, Sue Cruz. And Declan's been working away at this for a couple of years, uh, developing his, his smoking system and the flavours and the, the right amount of uh, magic, I suppose. And he's been getting an awful lot of help from a lady called Ivan McCarran, who works for Donegal County Enterprise Board. Um, through the food coast, we have, a, we have a network of food helpers here. We kind of help startups called the Food Coast in Donegal. And uh, his smoked salmon is amazing. It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit like one of those things that you get the hint of the flavour of it, but it's not overpowering. Because it's smoked with turf. It's smoked with turf, yes. So it's very unique in that regard. It is. I think it's the only one of its kind in the country that's on a commercial scale. Been doing it. There are there are people that have uh, done special versions of it, but this is what he does alone. It's all turf smoked in a wee small shack in Carrigart. A place I know well and have spent many an enjoyable night in it, <laughs> and enjoyed a glass of wine or two. And let's talk about the wine that you mentioned because you have there's Wicklow Ways wines. This is new to Ireland. Wicklow Way wines. Um, they were set up only a couple of years ago, actually. Um, Wine in Ireland. I have a cousin here in Donegal that grows grapes in his greenhouse and he makes his own wine. But as far as I understand, the Wicklow Way wines, uh, Newtown Montanity in County Wicklow, they have been making some fabulous fruit wines, not with grapes, but with um, they they launched a strawberry one there recently. And the one that came back to me an awful lot in the tweets over the best Irish food um, for the year was a, a blackberry wine with wild elderberries infused in it. 
and it says they offer tantalising aromas, flavours and colours and are a unique way to savour a little of Ireland's rich bounty. Have you tasted them yourself? I did. I was very lucky down at uh, the Dingle Food Festival, at the Dingle Food Festival, yeah, at the Blast and Heron Awards there last year. Uh, they were down and I got a sample of their, it was their strawberry, uh, they had a strawberry wine, a small edition Irish strawberries infused. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And lovely package in it. And uh, it's called Monnier, which is, I think it's Irish from Meadow. But it kind of looks a bit French though, doesn't it? It looks French, yeah. The accents are on the mm. on the Irish side instead mm-hmm. of the grave. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool way to market it and package it, so it yeah. is. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. And another one that I'm going to be keeping an eye out for is Charcuterie from Limavadi. Yes, no, that was really, uh, when I went to find out, I was getting an awful lot of tweets from along the north. Like I've said in the, in the blog piece, I've always considered Irish food on the island of Ireland. And being from Donegal, the border is only 15 miles away from here. But as long as there's provenance behind it, as long as it's not been shipped in from England, finished in Northern Ireland, and then sold as Irish food, that doesn't make it Irish food. But if it's grown uh, from scratch on the island of Ireland, as uh, there's a cuddly there from um, Corndale Farm, it's free-range pigs that they grow themselves, they raise themselves, they, they kill themselves, and they started about about two years ago making the, the chorizo and an awful lot of tweets came in about the chorizo so I had to go checking it out it's uh, Alistair Crown is the gentleman's name I've never actually met him face up uh, but they're based in Limavady and uh, apparently has uh, now remember Sharon this is picked by the public this is I just collect them and put them together this isn't my uh, definitive version of what the best in Ireland is at the moment I've always been a sharer of other people's stories, and so this is sharing the public's uh, choices of what they find to be the best upcoming foods in the country. So I'm looking forward to tasting it myself. Okay, and then we're going to talk then about a freshly made hand-rolled ice cream. Yes, Arctic Stone, two young brothers from Dublin, um, Tom and Caelan Cullen. And I would... I got an awful, an awful lot. Apparently, they have a stall in Marley Park and the People's Park in Dunleary at the weekends. And they do uh, festivals around Ireland. They're getting into doing more festivals, apparently. I went through and had a chat to find out what the story was. Um, Caelan was out in Thailand for a holiday and about four years ago. And it, somebody just developed a flash freezing to make the ice cream. And it's a, le- a metal plate or a glass plate. And it's super cold and you pour your cream on top of the, the plate and you mash it up with two um, palette knives and you add your flavouring to it and within 30 seconds or thereabouts you have about a cup full of freshly made ice cream and that's what the two lads do in front of you so they make the ice cream with Irish cream and their, their local ingredients in front of you on the plate and then they scoop it into little rolls and pop, pop it into the cup amazing Oh, that's a great example of somebody going travelling and being inspired by something that they've never seen at home before and bringing the idea back and making it into a business for themselves. It is. It's like a classic example of how most businesses are. There's very little invented these days, but there's an awful lot of improvements made to, to something that you've seen somewhere else or you take an idea that you've seen abroad and take it home to your own country and uh, 
be the first to do it but so lads are and fair play to them Yes yeah, so we probably see lots more of them over the the, the warmer season we'll say yeah. maybe May to September at the different food festivals Well if they've got uh, if they've got some good mentoring behind them they have a very good opportunity to uh, to um, franchise that mm-hmm. idea around okay. the country Yeah excellent I'm okay. forward to seeing what they're going to do And no list no food list would be complete if there wasn't a bit of chocolate in there Absolutely. And chocolate in Ireland these days, you can find it everywhere. Uh, this this young girl from Dublin, one or two tweets came up about chocolatey, chocolatey Claire. <laughs> Catchy wee name. Yeah, Claire. absolutely. Yeah. And uh, suddenly I was I was getting an avalanche off him and I went and checked her Twitter account and she didn't have millions of followers or anything like that there. She had only 100 followers. And so whenever people were looking up the, the hashtag once they once saw it if they knew her they were giving her a good shout out Claire Tate is her name and she's from uh, Kimmage in Dublin and she makes um, dairy free gluten free and vegan flavoured chocolates and uh, she, she actually got on to me uh, yesterday afternoon when she saw it going up on the on the, the website was, uh, was posted she couldn't believe it she was delighted with herself she's only at it for a couple of years and she works out of a kitchen in Dublin and Kimmage and so she's she's really looking forward to it it's, she puts puts her chocolate across as vegan and gluten free fairly traded and organic ingredients with delicious decadence in it um, so it's great to see somebody young and getting a kick yeah. and, uh, and, and a real buzz out of getting a shout out for uh, for your product like that and chocolate is always going to do well chocolate you can't beat chocolate so only two more to talk about, one of them very close to us here in County Limerick, Ballyhoura Mountain Mushrooms. Yes, one of the, the they were down for the best Irish specialty uh, grower and um, again mostly from chefs and restaurateurs all over the country, like the guys, uh, Lucy and Mark, um, they're set up in what, 2011 was it? I remember meeting them in, in Waterford, I remember meeting them in Galway uh, over the years and they know their stuff, they know their products and they know their mushrooms. And they're fairly diversified as well in that they have like mushroom ketchup and umami powder and different things like yeah. that. They have a lovely product called porcini dust and it's it's dried porcini mushrooms in a little jar and you sprinkle it and umami is the word. Um, when you taste that, you can put it on anything and it just brings out an amazing flavour. So the next couple of products are kind of healthy nutrition type products. We have a couple of different protein balls. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing this year, the amount of people. Um, and from what I could see by their profiles when they were tweeting on Twitter, there were footballers, sports people, rugby players, and uh, big into their nutritional snacks, both sweet and savoury. And what happened this year was two came out absolutely on top. Absolute Nutrition Foods from Bittis in County Dublin. Uh, it's a girl called Joanne Davy, and she is a trained nutritionist, uh, a holistic nutritionist. And she she only started in 2014. Um, she started on markets, and she uh, I think she went and did the Super Value Academy, and uh, she started making uh, nutritional balls, little chocolate balls, paleo protein, high energy treats. Um, she covers them with coconut or different things like that and uh, the amount of people that came back about those they, they thought they were brilliant, they tasted great a lot of these products I'm not into paleo protein and high energy because I just eat normal everyday food but um, I, I would 
have thought that they would be lacking in flavour and, and stuff like this, but apparently not. I was completely wrong in that. The amount of people going that they taste great and they, the the high energy and a wee a wee kick for when they're doing their their workouts and their training, and uh, the the little um, protein balls from Absolute Nutrition. I'm looking forward to it because Joanne got on to me. She's going to send send up a few for a wee taster, so I'm looking forward to testing them again. Yeah, I I quite like those protein balls, surprisingly enough, and feel I'm being a little bit healthy, well, a lot healthy, having them instead of like your standard bar of chocolate. So there's a huge market out there for that type of product. There is. There's a lot of them popping up. But it's, I, I'd say it's, uh, it's hard to get your name to jump out above everybody else's, but um, Joanne seems to be doing very well with her product over the last couple of years. And then if you're more of a savoury person, there is the Irish Biltong Company. Yes, now these guys are from County Kildare and they they popped up about three years ago when I was doing this as one of the best new products that um, people had seen. I think they took the best new product two years ago. Um, the Irish Biltong Company, and like Biltong is a, it's a marinated beef, a spiced beef, and then it's dried and they, they air dry theirs, you know, and cut into little strips and put in a package so that you can have something to chew on. It's a bit like a beef jerky, but not, apparently. I hate to say it, but this sort of product really reminds me of a dog treat type of thing. And, you know, I, I'm finding it difficult to try one of them. You've obviously tasted them. I have tasted them all right. Now, I'm not a big bodybuilder. I, uh, I'm a wee small guy. And so I don't need my high-protein energy bars and things like that, you know. Um, apparently, for people that are doing a lot of uh, bodybuilding work, there's not a lot of stuff out there that's, that's uh, easy for them to, to enjoy. There's a lot, of, a lot of the protein foods are like whey milks and powders that you add to, to get protein out of it, from what I've heard back in these. I found them tasty enough. Um, I, I got a couple of samples up. The chili ones were lovely. Um, the original ones, if you're into that kind of food, happy days. Uh, it is a snack, but it's a, it's it's aimed at um, as a nutritional snack and a, a protein snack. So it's there's a market for that. There's people that will buy that themselves. Okay, so I'm obviously not the market that that particular product is is aimed at. But but you know. I think as an alternative to a bag, because I'd, be, I'd be partial to a bag of crisps, and then I often wonder if I ate one of those instead of crisps, would it kind of satisfy that savoury snack-type craving? You'll just have to go and find something and uh, give it a go. You're absolutely right. That is exactly what I will have to do. But first of all, or last of all, we'll talk about beer, because it's always good to finish off with beer. That's the, the number 10 product there. Yes, and uh, I was delighted again uh, to see... There was an awful lot of shout-outs about beer this year from all over the country, from Wicklow and Limerick and Cork and, and Belfast and Donegal. And I was delighted, uh, maybe it was because it was uh, getting treated to a Donegal man. I seemed to get, uh, when I was doing the count, uh, Kinnegar Brewing up there in, in um, Rathmullen. Marginally by a couple of heads, just broke it to the first, uh, the top of the, the best Irish craft beer for the year. Um, and it was and one in particular, they have a, a range of five beers. And they do specials different times a year, but Kindergar Rust Bucket is the name of the the beer that came out on top. And it uh, Kindergar Brewing was established by Rick Levert and his partner Libby in about 2011 or 12. And uh, I've had some of the the Kindergar beers myself. I do like them. It took me actually a couple of years. I remember going down to Waterford Food Festival quite a few years ago, 
and the craft beers. It took me a while to get my head around them, but I love them now, and I would, I would, I love them all. The craft beers from all over. I, I, I stopped drinking lagers and and generic like Heineken and Carlsberg and all that stuff five or six years ago. Once I realised that the Irish craft beers are just so full of flavour that there's nothing to compare them when you put a generic, uh, uh, a large-scale production beer beside it. There's just no comparison. The craft beers are delicious. And uh, I was delighted to see a Donegal beer, Kinnegar, coming out on top again this year. Fantastic. Well, a great list of products. It's all on your blog there, which is irishfoodguide.ie. So the listeners should definitely get on there, have a look and keep an eye out for those products whenever they're out and about. Zach, great to talk to you this evening and uh, we'll catch up again soon, no doubt. Absolutely. And just for your listeners out there, if they get any chance at all to buy some Irish food as opposed to somebody else from a different country, buy Irish. Great advice. Thanks a million, Zach. Thanks very much, Sharon. Good luck. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Sorry, we're a bit over time. Apologies for that. Thanks so much for tuning in and to all of tonight's guests, Caroline Gray, Ruth Hegarty and Zach Gallagher. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!